Well, if you've noticed at all, uh, it's very beautifully someone set up these tables on both sides of the room. We're going to have communion as soon as the service is over. It's going to be very casually done. It's going to be a time of communion where you can sit there and uh, just reflect, kind of remember what the Lord has done for you. The whole message is centered around uh, our having communion uh, today. This place in Scripture is, is really perfect for it. It talks about our, our dying to ourselves and our becoming alive in Christ. In fact, that's basically what took place when uh, the people went through the Jordan River. It is why, in my opinion, that they pl- placed some rocks in Gilgal. Gilgal, by the, w- by the way, means the, let me, it, it means the reproach has been rolled away. In other words, there's a new beginning. The reproach, anything that is holding you back, has been rolled away. And so the whole idea of the stones being placed in Gilgal uh, meant that there was a, a new beginning. The reproach has been rolled away. But also that they put stones in the middle of the Jordan, spoke of, and when the waters came and covered over the stones, spoke of the death. Now whether they knew it or not, I'm not certain. In fact, I doubt that they do. But it could have been an indication as you study Scripture of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as they crossed over the Jordan River and finally went into what was their promised land that the Lord God had given them. Now many people try to say that this promised land is a a touch or or an idea of heaven. It is not. Because they had to go into the promised land and they had to systematically conquer the people that were there that were their enemies. That's not going to take place in heaven. In heaven itself, we have no conquering more to do. Our Lord has done it all. We have just a place to live. Really, the Jordan River, the promised land, is just like what we're living today. It is it is our chance to live an obedient life, a new life in Christ. And we're going to see how the promised land and, and crossing the Jordan ties in with the cross at Calvary. Let's... let's uh, Let's take a look at uh, Joshua chapter 4. Have I asked you to turn yet, please? Joshua chapter 4. We took a look at the whole chapter last week, but by no stretch of the imagination did we touch on every facet of this great chapter. God's people, the Israelites, are now on the other side of the Jordan River. As we saw last week, they literally walked through the Jordan into the promised land which God had given them, and they are now called to conquer this land. As we're going to find out, Gilgal, as I said, the the reproach has been rolled away. Gilgal becomes their base of operation, a place, if you would like to call it this, holy ground. It's not necessarily mentioned that in Scripture, but it is their place of gathering in between any kind of... uh, Uh, battles that they had with any of the enemies and their neighbors. But more importantly, in my opinion, Gilgal has become their place of remembrance. That's what the stones were there for. Wherever Israel went, often God would have them gather together stones and they would build an altar so as to remember what God had done for them. And so Gilgal, this place where the reproach has been rolled away, is now their place of remembrance. Their remembrances of what Jesus Christ did for them when they crossed the Jordan River. We saw that God told Joshua, take two sets of 12 stones. Take it out of the 
out of the river, build an altar in Gilgal, and also build one in the middle of the river where they passed on dry ground. Why? Well, we saw last week, I'm sure you remember, so that they could tell their children and anyone else who was ignorant of what took place in their lives what had happened. When they say, what are these stones for? Then they were ordered, you were to tell the people. Let's look again and remind ourselves, and we'll add one more verse. We'll read verses 21 through 24 of chapter 4, and then we'll tie in chapter 5, verse 1, with these four verses. One, two, yes, with these four verses, so that we can see they do fit together. Joshua said to the sons of Israel, verse 21 of chapter 4, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. That all, here's the reason, verse 24, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that they may fear the Lord your God forever. Well, to look at the beginning of chapter 5 and verse 1, we're going to see that their remembering this event served its purpose. Here's what happens, verse 1 of chapter 5. Now, it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, note what took place, when they heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, note, their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer. They had, in other words, great fear because of the sons of Israel. Really, because of the God of the sons of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob or Joseph. That God that they worshipped was the one that made their enemies' hearts melt before them. Now, I'm, I don't know why I'm, I'm tempted to say this, but, but Sully, I want to point you out. When you played football, there was absolutely nothing better when a, when, a, when a receiver came across the middle that he was frightened. You had to battle almost one, didn't you? When they started to tiptoe, you had it made. Well, that's what's happening here. Sully was a defensive guy, right, with the, with the Rams. That's what's taking place here now. These people are now frightened of the Israelites because of their great and mighty God. And there is a fear, really a reverence of who he is. And so when you, you and I take a look at chapter 4 of Joshua, what we're going to see is a great reminder of what God did for the Jews, his love and his care for them. And you might ask, and rightfully so, I think, what does that have to do with me today? That's the, that's the correct response. What does that have to do with you and me today in my world where I live? And the answer is, Scripture is here to teach you and me. It has a great deal to do with our lives. All you and I have to do is faithfully, faithfully search through the Word of God. Search through the Scriptures. And with patience, in time, 
you and I are going to find the reason for everything that happens within the Word of God. We're going to find all of our questions, all of our doubts, all of our fears in time answered because the Bible will answer itself. You see, the best commentary that you and I can read concerning the Bible is, do you know what? The Bible itself. The Bible explains itself in time. And you and I need to be patient to study through every word of the Bible, all of the books of the Bible, so that in time all of our questions will be answered concerning the God of the Bible. And so to look at the New Testament revelation of what took place in the Old Testament, in this case Joshua, we're going to be brought face to face, folks. It is, it is one of the most beautiful places in the Word of God. We're going to be brought face to face with the very central theme of the Bible. The central theme of the Bible is the death and the resurrection of the Messiah. That is what sets everyone who would trust and believe in Him free from their sin and giving them everlasting eternal life. The stones were put in Gilgal where their reproach has been rolled away and the stones were put in the river to symbolize the death and the resurrection of their coming Messiah. Now, I ask, did they know that at the time? I doubt it. I do doubt it. Maybe, but I'm not sure, but I more than likely doubt it. But as you look back upon this event, when you study Scripture and you take a look at the New Testament, the revelation is very clearly seen. So, let's pray and ask the Lord, open up our eyes that we might really understand and, and behold wonderful things from His most glorious law. Father, do that just that. Give us uh, the ability beyond our own selves to see wonderful things from Your law. Open up our hearts, our minds, our thoughts. Give us this moment of reflection, Father, that we can remember all the wonderful things that You have done for us so that we can prepare our hearts for communion, so that we can walk to the communion table, table uh, just cleansed of our sin and deeply, deeply indebted to who you are because of our remembrances of you. Please move me aside. I, I, I just beg of you, Father. Uh, let us see the words that we have just read and also others that we'll see in the New Testament that might uh, convince us and and strengthen us in our faith. Allow us to walk more closely with you today than, than, than when we did yesterday. Move us towards you, Father, please. We pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Let's go to the basics. The cross. This, the cross, not this cross, but the cross that our Lord died upon and the river Jordan are similar they are indications that God is trying to communicate with you and me. And we see it through the people of Israel, we see it through the Jews, and we see it through our lives. When Jesus Christ went to the cross and He died, we realized that He accomplished at that point in time everything that the Father had commanded Him to do. In fact, Jesus Christ, when He was on the cross, cried out, to tell us that, I think it is. It is what, you know? It is finished. All that God had asked 
Him to do was finished upon the cross. All that was left was for Him to raise from the dead to assure you and me that we too might have everlasting life. Isn't that, wouldn't that be just something in your life? I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me. By the way, I love it. I can't... Yeah, go ahead. It's really nice. It's really great. Love you, honey. Wouldn't it be... Wouldn't it be something if you and I, at the end of our days on this earth, can say, it's finished. Everything that God has asked me to do, I've accomplished. That, that, that is, for you to know about me, my dream. It is my, my ultimate dream. I don't want to be morbid, please. But w- what I'd love to do is die after the last message the Lord has given me to preach. I would love it. Not in front of you. I don't want to freak you out. <laughs> I don't want to freak you out. But, but I, I would love to, to, to just you know, be able to have a moment as I'm dying to say, it's finished, Lord. I did what you asked me to do. I, I pray that for all of us. I pray for each of us that we have a, 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 a sense of what God is doing in and through our lives so that we can live a life fully aware of who He is and living our lives for Him. It is upon Calvary that not only, though, that Jesus Christ died, it is upon Calvary where every single one of us who believe in Him also died symbolically. That's what happened in the Jordan River. Let me, let me tie the two of them together for you this morning. The perfect work of salvation happened at the cross when Jesus Christ shed His blood, died, was buried, and rose from the dead. The cross, the grave, resurrection. And when the stone was rolled away on Easter Sunday morning that we celebrate every day of our lives, with Jesus alive, the question concerning sin was settled. That is settled for all of us who have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. Here's what we don't note, what we do note, I should say, from Joshua chapter 4. When we watch and we see what takes place and that God told Joshua, have the priests take the Ark of the Covenant, right? And step out into the, into the Jordan River. Every step that they made, that river would, would kind of build itself up. And it, would, it, was, it was held back, it says, in a heap away from the people who went through. But first, the priests went through with the Ark of the Covenant. But after the priests went through, we found that the people also walked through that water as well. And the deepest meaning, the very core of Calvary and the cross is just that. Not only did Jesus Christ die for your sin and my sin, but we too symbolically died with Him like in the Jordan like the Jews, the river was like the cross. They walked through death. We experience death by remembering what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross. I want to prove it to you in Scripture. New Testament, Galatians chapter 2 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Find them both. Galatians first. 
Would you please? I know it's just one verse. Galatians 1 verse and, and 2 Corinthians is 2 verses, 14 and 15. But in Galatians 2.20, it's one verse that is really, it, 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 it deserves our attention. It, it, it deserves for you to see it in your own Bible if you have one uh, and mark it. If you don't have your own Bible and you're using ours, it's in the, the pew in front of you, mark it anyway for the next person. Let them see what you've marked. Mark it. It's a great way of, at least for me, it's a great way to memorize. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul makes this statement. I, Paul is speaking, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, we know, I'm going to break this down just a little bit, we know that he was not crucified with Christ. So what in the world is Paul saying? He is saying symbolically he died on the cross with Jesus Christ. Just like symbolically the Jews who walked through the Jordan River died in the middle of that river, but God held back the water. God has held back sin for you and me. So, I have, verse 20 of Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul writes. But he says, it is no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in other words, on this earth, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That bears repeating. Let me say it one more time. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who now lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, in this earth, in this form that we now breathe and walk and talk and live here on this earth. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself up for me. Loved me and gave himself up for me. Turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Kind of the same thing, same principle, same writer, Paul, but the same emphasis that there is upon life and death. What I'm trying to say, if you would listen to me please, I'm trying to convince you and me that we are dead to ourselves. And we are alive to Christ. I'm going to try to convince you in a moment or two that that is truly the only pure way to live out your Christian faith. Now, let me, let, me rec- let me recognize this to you. I recognize those of you that come to this church. This is not some type of teaching you're going to get at every common day church today. This is kind of stuff where we get in your seminary and stuff. This is things that you and I learn to help us move along in our faith, to grow, to become conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so this, this message is a pure message for communion. It is a pure message for those of us that want to walk with Christ as our Lord and Savior. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul writes again, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, he writes, that one died for all, therefore what? Tell me, what? We all died. Now that's the truth or it is not. Paul is saying symbolically, the love of Jesus Christ controls me, he says. I've concluded this, that he died for every one of us. Therefore, we've all died. Verse 15, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on our 
behalf. Listen, I, I want to make a statement to you that perhaps is the most and strongest statement I have ever made from this pulpit here at this church to you. And it is this. Without a true understanding of this truth, uh, without an understanding of Galatians 2.20, and without a true understanding of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, that you and I have died in and with Christ, you and I will never be and we will never live a victorious Christian life that we ought to live. We will always, always, always fall short of our goal. You and I must come to grip with the truth that in Galatians and 2 Corinthians and Joshua, and the truth is this, that Jesus Christ dies and He lives for us. The cross and the river are symbols of our life and death. The cross and the river are symbols of life and death. You see, Jesus was not alone on the cross. Like the people who walked through the Jordan River with the priests and the Ark of the Covenant, they walked through the waters with them. So you and I, too, were there with Jesus Christ symbolically when they nailed Him to the cross and when He died upon the cross. We symbolically died with Him. I want to give you this example. It's the best I know how to give. My finest moments as a Christian come when I feel invincible. By that I mean when I realize that I am dead to myself. When I get to that place in my life, I reason, what can man do to me? They can't embarrass me. They can't hurt me. They can't diminish or lessen or weaken or reduce me one iota because I am already dead in Christ Jesus. And in that process, I, I must warn you, if this is something you want to try to do, it doesn't come, oh, you can say, oh, I get it. I'm to die to myself. And you leave here and you think that's all you have to do. No, it's a moment-by-moment -moment process. It is a constant reminder that you are dead and Christ is alive in you. You see, Christian, that thought that Christ and we died on the cross and that Jesus Christ and we rose from the dead, that is the only true, sane, and real meaning that you and I will ever, ever get out of our Christian faith. It's the essence. I want to prove that to you as well. Because Jesus Christ mentioned it in John chapter 12. Turn there, please. John chapter 12 and verse 24. You see, God's best for you as well as for me is to live a life that is dead to ourselves and alive to Christ. God's best for you and me is to die to ourselves. There is a commentary that wrote about this, and he and he asked a question. It was a rhetorical question. He said, what is it that you have a uh, mind to do in your life that, that is, is the best that you think you can do? What is it? And he started mentioning things. And then he reasoned that all of those things that you might consider is the best thing that you can do is only second best to the first thing that is best for your life and my life, and that is to die to ourselves and live for Christ. That ought to be your and my ultimate goal. Jesus Christ makes this statement in John 12, 24. Probably explains it, no, not probably, explains it much better than I did. 
You see, before God can take you and me up to the heights of victory, more than likely He's going to take you and me down to the bedrock of the Jordan or to the foot of the cross and ask us to die with Him. Here's what Jesus says about it. John chapter 12, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, stop. Wait, don't go any further. When Jesus Christ says truly, truly, that says, listen, listen. This is important. What I'm about to say to you, he is saying, is very, very important. Give me your attention. Listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, note what? If it dies, what? It will bear much fruit. That's the essence of your life and my life. Fruit of the Spirit. To live a life that is full of God, full of the Spirit of the Spirit, being alive in who we are in Christ. That's your goal. That's my goal. That's first place. To die to ourselves so that we might bear much fruit. Once we die to ourselves and live for Jesus Christ, Gilgal then, or the cross then, becomes our places of remembrance, our, our places of memory. That's why in Gilgal they, they, they built altars so that people could ask, what are these stones for? So that you can remind them that what God did for you. And we look upon the cross, we, we consider, what is the cross for? It's, it's the remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for you and me. You see, Gilgal means, just as the cross means, our reproach has been rolled away. No more sin. He died for it. So what does that mean to you and me? Well, turn with me and we're going to close right now. The last place I'm going to ask you to look, Ephesians chapter 2. What does it mean to us that the cross and, and the Jordan means a place of death and life? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead dead in our transgressions he made us alive together with Christ by grace by God's unmerited favor grace you have been saved and he's raised us up he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus Verse 7, so that in the ages to come, God might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that you might not boast. We're his workmanship, it says in verse 10. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that you and I might walk in those works that he has prepared for us. You see, we have become identified with Jesus Christ. We've become identified in his death, and we've become identified in his resurrection. You know what's amazing to me? In the Bible, death is what gives you and me life. Something. I want to leave us with this thought. As we go to communion, I want you to think, if any of the Israelites, when they got over across the Jordan into the promised land,
if any of them at that moment in time got frightened and wanted to go back to Egypt, which in symbolically was sin, the rocks, the rocks would have cried out to them, go back to the promised land. Go back. Remember my mighty hand. Remember what I have done for you. Just like if you and I as believers today in Jesus Christ want to live a life that's kind of shady, kind of off-color, kind of moving towards sin, the cross yells at us, don't leave this new life that I have given you. Hold firm to your walk with Jesus Christ. Remember you're dead, but you're alive in Christ. Gilgal, the river, the reproach has been rolled away. Calvary, the cross, your sins are forgiven. Father, thank you for this day. This day. Thank you for uh, the privilege of, of contemplating the fact that we have been given our lives over to you. We have died symbolically with you at the cross. And now it is no longer we who live, but you who live in us. Just like the river, as the Israelites walked through and saw the Ark of the Covenant, they too walked into, or through death really, and into a newness of life. May we understand that wonderful, wonderful truth. And Father God, may you minister to each of us. As we have communion now, Father, may our lives be a blessing to you. And may your memories run deep within our heart and our soul. I pray in Jesus' precious name.